Let me finish chewing this berry scone for just one more moment. How much of you is having to tell your brain not to reach for another piece of berry scone? I'm like, really, should I not have it right now? There's zero reason to have it next to you. And welcome to The Outpost, a podcast about inspired thinking. I'm feeling inspired. Tom's feeling annoying. We've also got Mark and Krista here today. Krista, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. I forgot to use my microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Doing really good. We'll never know how she's doing. Well, Krista, this is our first time having you on, so I'm happy to have you here. Are you nervous? Are you excited? A little of both? A little of both. Are you disappointed in yourself that you didn't try to help me derail her at the start by making a weird noise i'm just generally disappointed (laughs) (laughs) okay let's start with community questions so what do you have for us okay so our first community question was what is the difference between perfection and excellence my work versus everyone else's i was gonna make that (laughs) joke about your work yeah yeah (laughs) what is the difference between perfection and excellence here's an interesting question is are they both worth striving for I don't, I don't think perfection even exists, really. Which makes it not worth striving for, because if in you my sh- opinion. I mean, if you strive for it you, and you never hit it, then what's the, what's the point of striving for perfection if it does? Does it exist? Is there a perfection that exists? No, and, and you'll never hit it, so you'll never be satisfied with what you're doing, and you'll never actually finish what you start. That's, I think the, probably. that's the problem. In the context of what we're talking about, I mean, perfection probably exists in mathematical That's what terms. I was thinking, math. There's a perfect circle out mm-hmm. there somewhere, but... No. No. <laughs> Only in the mind. Mark disagrees with that. And I think the closer we try and get to it, like, the more effort we have to put into it. Like, it takes a certain amount of effort to get it to a level of excellence, and then to get it all the way to perfection, it's like your drag becomes heavier and heavier and heavier. And at a certain point, it's like would it be a better use of my time to start something new and and begin the progress on that thing instead of just ever striving for this last bit that gets ever harder to reach? There's a smart person in the room. (laughs) I'm intimidated. Thank goodness. (laughs) Why do we strive for excellence? I think, uh, I mean, if, what's the difference between excellence and perfection, I think, is a question asked by someone who's interested in those things as goals to strive for. Like, Mm -hmm. so, why like what what's worthy about that quest is that an unworthy quest like what should we be striving for i think everybody appreciates excellence i think innately humans do they because have you seen the things that succeed in this also i love hot pockets (laughs) and are they excellent is this just the point where we say excellence is subjective and the whole question (laughs) dies you could be the best hot pocket of all the hot pockets, I think that's great. You can be the most excellent one. They all are different. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism is something that I've had to spend a lot of years trying to not be, and so it's a little more personal for me. I think, I think when you apply too much pressure on yourself and you value yourself based on your performance, and you try to be perfect, which is not realistic, it has ramifications that affect more than you. And so I, I view it as a as a strong negative, actually. Excellence, and there's levels of excellence, right? Like you can be you know, you can you can strive and go really, really high and, and, and take it, you know, as far as you can. I think that's what we should strive for. But perfection is that level 
with which there are no flaws or defects, and I don't think that exists. I, I think you can convince yourself that it, you know, that it's possible, but I don't think it is. I like the. So if we just look at perfection as being no flaws whatsoever, okay, and say that that's unattainable and that's in an un, many works, unhealthy in, in thing works. outside of math. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, goodbye perfection. Okay, but I do really appreciate the idea of excellence and you know that is something that we strive for here you know there are so many times during a project that we could just stop because it's good enough or it's, it's at a viable point it's at a viable point or it's as good as this other stuff that other people are doing or it's as good as whatever and something in us says yeah but it's not what we want it to be yet it's not it hasn't gotten as close to excellence as we want to push it or we feel like we could push it and i think i think there is something beautiful about striving for excellence and setting that as a goal for yourself and having that be something that you want to bring in the world like sometimes when we work on things i find myself not it's not even just that i want to be the one to achieve this excellence it's that this thing deserves and the world deserves this thing to be excellent because so much of what is available to us in this life isn't. Mm-hmm. And the more interesting question is, where do you stop? You That's know? exactly where I was going. When I went to art school, we were challenged with the question, when is it done? When is it done? Because you can always make it better. Just as a graphic designer, you think, gosh, well, if I had more time, I could make it even better. And that's always true. Mm. It's always true. There's not enough time, right? So you have to deliver. You have to ship. You have to stop. You have timelines. You have deadlines. And what matters? And at what point do you stop? Because you don't have unlimited time. You don't have unlimited energy. You don't have unlimited resources. So perfection is not attainable because math. Because math. Because math. I think Krista probably has a very unique sense of this, too, because as an illustrator, you know, you're putting out pieces of work pretty consistently, and they do have to be really good, right? I mean, like, I don't know. I feel like sometimes the work that I do, it's live, and it gets done, and it has to get done on a timeline, so I can't always be excellent. Um, But how do you know when you're illustrating that it's gotten to a point that you're satisfied with, that that's excellent in your eyes? I definitely have a strong perfectionism problem. I think that, you know, I see everything and I, and I just see its potential and what it could be. And I end up falling into that own trap that I identify, which is just endlessly going to that cycle and putting in all this extra effort. And so one thing that I'm trying to implement is just stopping at the end of a work period, putting it down wherever it is, no matter what, even if I know there's things I want to do with it, and then look at it when I'm fresh, when I've just been doing something else, and get that first read on it, and view it as if I weren't myself, view it as if I were somebody else viewing it for the first time, and I feel like that gives me a lot of objectivity to be able to identify, okay, what do I really need to do on this? You had some word that in, a, in a meeting a while back it was like some smart person word <laughs> that I literally looked up while we were sitting there. That it was like an inverse half-life concept. Do you do you remember what I'm I, talking about? I think about? it was. I'm not a math person either, but it was asymptotic, uh, which is like so as as it's 
basically describes the idea like as you're approaching this thing that can never be reached mm. which i don't understand from a math perspective but i feel like i i feel it from a soul perspective or like a metaphoric perspective like i can really feel that feeling of just like you know you're ever getting nearer but never reaching that that hit me so hard when you mentioned that because you know the the idea of of half-life so like like radiation or whatever it's you know let's just say every x period of time it's halved how much is there is halved how much is there is halved and at a certain point you're having some minuscule amount but it will never reach zero ever because you can't cut something in half and ever come up with nothing. Mm. And so and even mathematically, that makes sense. Right. If you're cutting it in half over and over again, at what point is that half well, no longer yeah, what, worth yeah. your time? The first however many cuts is big. And what she was describing was something that was basically the opposite. It's like, you know, during this period of time, you go so far and then so far and then so far. But you're getting this diminishing return of how far yes. you're going. At a certain point, it's like the time you're putting in isn't really getting you much further. Okay. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, you could go a smidge further forever but the like dimin- you've reached this point of diminishing return where it's not worth your time and the project's really not improving and like she said you could have got four other things done in that time right and you never get there there being perfection and so to kind of wrap it all up in less words like i like you all to do um the difference between excellence and perfection perfection really isn't attainable unless you're a mathematician um, and the levels of excellence that you can continue to try for, there's a diminishing return at some point. And so when you can look at it from a sense of objectivity with fresh eyes, as if you're someone else seeing your project, um, that's way you can kind of decide, am I done? How close to done am I? How close to excellent is this? Yeah. yeah. Understand that perfection is the wrong goal, even though many of us are just sort of innately compelled to feel like we need to do that or we have failed. And that at a certain point, it's excellent enough. Mm-hmm. Hashtag excellent enough. Orange <laughs> Nebula. Excellent enough. Imperfect. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and move on to the next community question. What you got for us, Krista? So for our next community question, we had, for you, what determines the value of a board game? Ooh. You two love to talk about the value of board games. <laughs> so Yes, neither of us just melted through the couch. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to you, Let's talk about us. Um, what determines the value of a board game? One, I think the experience that you're having when you have a group of people together playing it. What else is the point of a board game than the experience that you're having when you're playing it? Um, which means that for me, too, is like replayability, right? How many times can I play this again and again for it to be something that it has earned its value over time? What are your thoughts? Well, as an illustrator, my first thing is always the illustrations Mm. um i guess coming from a visual land like that's what really speaks to me first and perhaps maybe other people that influences them more than they realize too but i love to see illustrations that just bring me into the game into the feeling of the world and that feel like it's something that like a world that i want to go into Krista of Visual Land. (laughs) Okay, Mark and Tom, what are your thoughts? So replayability, the experience of playing, the immersiveness that the art can bring into it. What else brings value to a board game, in your opinion? I think for me, it has to be something new. It has to be something daring uh, to really capture my attention. There's a lot of games that I've played uh, that have 
wonderful mechanisms and I, you, you kind of see them in different shapes and forms in other games or, or storylines that are similar but maybe a little different. And I think execution can be, can be well done for something that's not super creative. And I think the thing that really triggers me as of late are things where they're pushing for something and even, even though it might not be perfect or it might not have come out exactly the way they wanted – they're going into new territory and they're trying things and that gets me a little more excited than playing another worker placement game mm -hmm. or playing another RPG game or, you know, something, something that brings something new to the table, not just a retheming of, of what has been done before. And that's hard to say because maybe there's a game that has aspects of that where like, you know, it's it's not completely groundbreaking, but it's got this one aspect where they really they really took a big swing. I think that's I think that's fun for me. I'm going to push this into a slightly different space. Okay. So where use this use your back? Where this? Yeah. Use your legs. <clears throat> I mean, is that right? <laughs> Pushing. Um, use your back. <laughs> I push. I push. I want. Spine. All right. Um, where this tends to come up the most is, you know, is this game worth it or you know, oh, there's not enough value there. Or, you know, I didn't see the value in that one like I do in that one. And value becomes this weird quantifying thing that's usually about measurable stuff that I think misses the point. And, you know, is, is this game worth it generally? Like when, when people talk about value in board games, usually we're talking about like, I don't know, three or four things. It's how many components are there? What is the quality of those components? And how many hours of playtime am I going to get with those components? And to me, those things mean almost nothing. Like, you know, I, I can hand you a bag of 600 pounds of, that would be hard, but, you know, you know me, very fit. Use your back. Um, you know, I can give you a ton of pieces of cardboard and plastic that are all board game components. That doesn't mean that, you know, so what? It what's the value we talked about this on an early podcast like what's the value of star wars on mm -hmm. dvd like the d the disc that cost right. 0 0.01 cents to make like or is it all these other intangibles that i think we should talk about and hours of playtime also i think you know i appreciate the replayability thing but it drives me crazy when i see the oh this campaign has 684 hours of content it's like well are 660 of those hours crappy and underdeveloped? <laughs> like, I would rather have a very, very, very incredibly potent, masterfully done 10-hour experience than a garbage 600-hour one. I know, sorry, I used the word garbage. But, like, so I, I wish that these conversations would involve these intangible things that never come up. Like, the... Uh, the skill and the experience of the people who are making the game, like that's part of the value. The value of a game made by these people is different than these people. Like if, we, if you go to a restaurant and the world's greatest chef makes you a trout and then I make you three trout, <laughs> which of those meals is more valuable? Mm -hmm. I assure you it's not my pile of trout. <laughs> you, know? and you can use the word garbage again. Thank you. <laughs> it, illustrations. The the craft of the people like if you have some brilliant industry leading graphic designer on this game that's part of the value that should be part of the price of what you're considering when you're thinking about this game costs sixty dollars is it worth sixty dollars don't just look at the pile of stuff on the table whose names are on the box who did the writing who did the graphic design 
how much passion and energy can you tell went into it? Like, what is the full holistic picture of, you know, illustrations? Like, this is an experience, like you're saying, that transcends stuff that can be measured with numbers. And the fact that that's how we measure value, I think that completely sells short what we're trying to do in this hobby as people who engage with it to have a good experience. And I understand part of measuring value is budgets. You know, I only have a hundred bucks to spend on games. I want to get the most bang for my buck. So people have that conversation, but let's not just look at how many hours of gameplay, how much stuff, blah, 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 blah. It misses a point. What makes a game great is how you approach it, right? It's you have a part in it. I can enjoy something because I choose to enjoy it and look for the wonder in it. And you can choose to have a terrible experience because you're trying to pick out the flaws. Do that with your friends. Do that with your family. See where that gets you. Mm-hmm. Right. So you think your mindset plays a part in the value of a board game? Absolutely, too? it does. How much fun can I have playing this game uh, with my friends who have decided that we're going to make this fun and we actually enjoy each other's company versus somebody who is really critical, hypercritical of it and... It doesn't really look like my type of thing. They're not going to have as much fun when they play it because they've already told themselves that. Is that why we're ha- why we have a podcast to like prime people's minds and the in, you know as we prime their minds, it increases the value of our board games. It's just so Tom and I can vent. The I whole think. point of this podcast, <laughs> other than us venting, yes, is to manipulate people into thinking that we're smart so that our stuff have more <laughs> perceived value, yes. and That's also right. make them smarter so that so that their mind variable in the algorithm of value of a board game increases as long as it increases the perception of our stuff sure that's cool and because also math because it's math, math and yeah. so it's perfect so there's that as well mm-hmm. but yeah the, yes because you know why is this 50 card game 20 dollars well it's only 50 cards you know that probably costs what three bucks to make it's like yeah but what about the thinking? Yeah, someone spent two what years making those 50 cards work together the way that they do. Like, that's the value. Who cares about 50 cards? Wrong way to look at it. Yeah, yeah I agree. Do you think they're done venting now? Well, let me check their eyes. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think it's all out. We've chosen to stop. That's what this is. <laughs> she shut us down. She's the off button. <laughs> Boop. All right, so let's move on to the main topic for today. So today's main topic is about finding your voice. So all together now. Ah. <laughs> I wish I had a good it. voice. We're still working on it. Better. We all wish that about ourselves. So how do we find our voice? How do we make sure that the work that we're putting out actually sounds like us? Um, so let's let's start with this question. Do you feel like you've found your voice in your creative work? And, and how much do you feel like you've found your voice? So... Um, Krista, let me start with you. As you're creating your work, how much do you feel like your work looks like you? How much have you found your voice in your work? I think like it's surprising how much naturally comes through when just even without thinking about it, like there are elements of you there that you pick up from what you look at in the world, what you, what interests you, what you care about, and all those what what no matter the media whether it's visually or or in words like i think all the time we're soaking that up and it's really cool to recognize that coming out in your work so i I definitely recognize that happening a lot okay what what about you uh tom since you're making eye contact with me how much do you feel like your work really sounds like you and that you've found your voice at this point i feel like i found it pretty well um 
it was it was a you know i think sort of the wishy-washy answer here is that i think that's an ongoing process like i don't think you ever like fully arrive at i am 100 percent. this is my voice because your voice evolves but i think i have reached a stage in my creative process and career where i feel like i do have a tom voice like i could like people can recognize i could write something and put it out there in the world and people who know me would be like that's something tom wrote yeah you know um what do you think i yeah i think over the past few years i've found mine i kind of I think for a lot of a lot of people, and for this was true for me for a long time, they get frustrated because you hear the advice, you know, just be yourself, um, just relax and be yourself. And I think that's frustrating for people who don't really know who they are, and they haven't really approached that time where they feel like they've come into their own and really can command themselves in that way. And and I I don't feel like I hit my stride until after forty, and so that's. You know, for a long time, I thought that was tragic. And what I'm finding is that that's just true of a lot of people. And that's just how it is. And so there's a there's a fluency that I think you find by showing up and doing the work. Um, And I feel like it's like learning a new language, Um, you know, with your voice, you're you're learning new new phonetics and new syllables and and. And over time, you become more and more fluent, and you become known for that. And I think, um, I think that fluency really starts to give shape and give form to your voice. And um, I think it's, I think it's a cross section of what your passions are and what you're interested in, combined a little bit with what's what other people can take away from that, um, unless you're talking to yourself. Um, which is which is lot. true some of the time. Patrick shared a Miles <laughs> Davis quote on Facebook that aligns with I that pretty that. strongly. It, it, it was like, sometimes you have to play a long time to play like yourself, mm-hmm. is what Miles Davis said. Yeah, and I, I think I like that. It's so true. I mean, I guess I hadn't thought of it with your voice, finding your voice, kind of being like its own language, right? If you think about how you learn language as a person. You know, you watch other people talking, you watch other people moving through the world, and then you start experimenting with your own vocal cords and mimicking and mimicking and mimicking. And as you continue to mimic, then you build this vocabulary that you can then use to create original thoughts and ideas as well. Um, So thinking about your own voice as kind of a language that comes from you is a really interesting way to look at it. And it does play very much into this idea that you have to keep using your voice and keep using your voice and keep using your voice uh, to get to the point where something original actually comes from you. I really like that metaphor of language. I think like another thing that that brings up for me is like the idea of like you learn vocabulary and you learn grammar and you build these things that kind of widen what you're able to say and the nuance with which you're able to say it. And then what do you do with this? So it's like that's one component. And then the other component is what do you say? And I mm. think that like they they are interwoven, but you can always like in that moment you can always find something to say within yourself if you look at what you have within you. And then as you progress in your life and your career, your ability to say that just gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I think has helped develop my voice is what I'm able to say under pressure. Um, because when you have a time constraint or a resource constraint, you very quickly discern what matters in the moment. 
and you don't have time to make it perfect like we've talked about you don't have the luxury of stepping away and stepping back to it too many times and that pressure will will show you where your real passions are and i think that's that's one component another component is i think when i started to find my voice was when i stopped trying to make that voice something for other people to meet their expectations that that was that was absolutely critical and groundbreaking for me yeah that was just that's exactly what i was going to say almost in support of the statement just be yourself which i think you know for different people they need to be challenged in different ways and i think challenging yourself to stop thinking about what are other people thinking or what's the proper way to do this like these people do it this way so obviously that's the right way to do it or what you've been taught you know this is the structure of a song this is the structure of a of of how you write you know here's conventions and all these things and you know when you put yourself in all these under the pressure of all these barriers of what other people have done or told you or what you think people are going to think like I think for some of us, the challenge is letting all that go and just being you, so to speak, and believing that that is enough and that your voice in and of itself is interesting. I think a, a, a trap people fall into is they say, you know, I don't have a truly original idea, so... I'm going to sort of start emulating these things other people have done and make sort of my own little variation on what other people have done. And that'll be, you know, I'll just micro improve something. But, and that's, you know, whatever. But I think what that sells short is your voice that's uniquely you, because it is you, it is unique, it in and of itself is almost like its own idea. Like the way that I talk about something when I'm doing writing which is my craft is different than the way everyone else does it because it's coming from me and so that in and of itself is almost its own idea Mm -hmm. and so like believe that the way you would instinctively say something is valuable yeah I was gonna say it's it's inherently valuable for Mm -hmm. that Do you think that an element then of finding your voice is, I don't want to necessarily use the term self-love or or confidence, but there is this sense of like valuing what's inside you um, and having this sense of of self-love, self-appreciation, self-confidence that allows your voice to come out. To me, it feels like a mix of like like that and what I just said and the thing Mark said earlier about finding yourself. It's, it's sort of like, you know, you have to spend enough time with yourself and, you know, like Miles Davis is saying, to, to kind of get an idea of who you are and then you also have to give who that is the respect to come out. And I think a large part of that in today's world is, you know, you're never going to find your own voice if you exist completely buried in everyone else's voices. Like stop with all the input for a bit and your output's going to start sounding a lot more unique because we do inherently start mimicking the things that we're taking in that's just the way our minds work you know if you know any of us go to the south for a week we're going to develop new wrinkles a in little our little twinge of accent <laughs> just 
and catch ourselves doing it. I mean, like, that is a silly thing that I'm suddenly doing. <laughs> like, I am this, I do not possess this accent. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same way when we, you know, read other people's work and watch other people's shows and listen to a bunch of music and then try to make our own piece of music. Like, we are subtly and unconsciously influenced by these things, and that's what starts to come out. And if we take ourselves out of the input stream for a bit, the output stream is going to be much more us. I think, you know, I from what I know about Krista, I, I feel like, you know, part of why her self-voice journey is going well is because Krista has a healthy isolation from so much input. And so she has, you know, she spends a lot of time outside. She goes on hikes. She wanders around the forest or does whatever fairy life thing (laughs) that Krista does. But she has time to be in her own mind and understand who she is and hear her own thoughts. I feel like we're developing Krista's bio really well today. (laughs) Krista, a visual land with a healthy sense of isolation. (laughs) (laughs) Lost in the fairy forest. Lost in the fairy forest, yes. Willingly lost. One thing that we talked about when we brainstormed about this originally was this idea that getting to know your own voice has to do with leaning into genuine parts of yourself without a fixed goal. Um, You know, often when we attach a goal to something or whether it's monetary, whether it's a amount of production that we're doing, when we attach a goal to something, um, at least initially, I think it does kind of pull us outside of going deep into these genuine parts of ourself so we have to find a way to be exploring some of these deep, genuine parts of ourselves without having it attached to an outcome. That's exactly where my mind was going to. The, the sense of exploration into places that you haven't been in the places that are uncomfortable is where you're going to grow. It's where you're going to gain that fluency. Uh, if you're doing the same things you've always done, you're not going to gain anything. You're not going to grow. You're not going to learn. And I, you're not going to add vocabulary so to speak to your voice you have to explore and so the exploration part of it i think is absolutely critical and i think it's okay to have the goal to just explore right not to necessarily have like well i'm gonna i'm gonna become great and i'm gonna have this outcome i think you can set high standards for yourself but you have to learn the nuances and you have to walk the paths first well and to have maybe have your goal be something personal or, or find a way to take the goal and make it personal. Um, Bert in the Outpost community says, I have to tap into painful memories and emotions, the real grotesque places in my soul. Ew. Ew. Along, <laughs> you, you're gross, Bert. <laughs> Along with the determination to reveal some beauty and hope. So like, you know, his voice is inherently happening because he's dealing with things that are him, that are of him, that involve him and his intentions and who he is and so the voice just naturally presents itself because it's not about what are these people going to think or what's going to be good in the eyes of the beholders and what's going to be you know it's he makes it personal and so what comes out is unique it it has to start within otherwise you're responding to other people's output right uh there is a there is a merging of those circles right like so your voice comes from within and it's something that you're sharing right that's what the voice is it's something that that goes out so what is the highest benefit for others or 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 what's what do i love what am i passionate about and what what about that is is worthy of other uh, uh, of sharing right like like what what would be in this for other people like um and i think if you can find that sweet spot 
I think I think you can start conversations and have dialogues and have mutual growth that I think is really beneficial and very significant. Do either any of us here, um, I'll raise my hand and say I do, but how have you actually intentionally, okay, let me, let me, I, I gotta figure out how to get it out properly. When we're working with brands and helping to come up with brands core values, there are exercises that we do to help them figure out what uh, adjectives best describe them. Have any of you done that for yourself? Have you ever, you know, have, do you have like specific words that are your voice and how you kind of came up with those at all? Not in the same context, not in, you know, I've not <laughs> done those same exercises with myself. Um, I, I mean, I've done them in the context of the workplace before, you know, I, I did the Dale Carnegie program with a previous employer and you know that's something that you do for yourself and it was illuminating um you know i do variations on that you know i journal and things like that but i don't have the nice solid list of things that i can point to and say this this and this i do mine are optimism determination and snacks uh <laughs> those are like my three kind of core values that i find going through and I just did on my own a very similar experience experience to what I do with brands is I just kind of started writing down all the words that I thought kind of described me and then grouping them into like okay these are all pretty similar these are all pretty similar and this one is probably the one that makes the most sense um, but as somebody who works in social media, I kind of had to do that as I'm trying to figure out my personal brand, right? How am I going to continue to speak in a way that people will recognize as me that will build trust and legitimacy over time? Um, and it had to be by establishing some of those core values for my own voice. So there's the, the determination to get the snacks <laughs> and then the optimism after you've consumed the snacks. And, there will be more. Yeah, but and I also feel optimistic that no matter where I go, I will be fed snacks. And it has never failed me. It really hasn't. So here we are. I got nothing. She brought her own snacks today. So That's true. That's helpful. Mm -hmm. No matter where she goes, she's given snacks by herself. <laughs> I you know, it's interesting. I don't know if I do enough discipline in this area. I'm pretty disciplined in, in many areas, but s analyzing myself and maybe documenting, you know, I do the, occasionally I'll do the, like these, these are the keywords I'm focused on for this year. Yeah. You know, buoyancy was one, one year. And um, I like that challenge. I don't know if I'm really self-aware enough or self-actualized enough to, to really bolster that to its potential maybe that's something i can work on um we've had these conversations in other i mean we've talked to you know we've done personality exercises i got really into enneagram last year but not never really specific to voice and to expression which is interesting it's it there is a point of this for me that is where i have to get alone and i have to remove myself from distractions and find out what and, and listen to myself first so i think i think a lot of times before you speak your voice you listen to your voice um and and if you don't then i'm not sure where that's coming from right so you have to you have to get into the quiet i do it a lot with a sketchbook i listen to instrumental music or orchestral scores or whatever i do and and i think those places are very critical for formulating that path or setting your trajectory at least they have been for me i don't know what do you guys do I know that in order for my outward voice to be genuine, 
I do have to first focus on my internal voice. It's the very first thing that I can practice and, and control really is what my thoughts are when I'm talking to myself. So if you know me very well, I speak out loud uh, what my thoughts are a lot of the times. And usually if I mess something up, my response is, okay, great. Here we are. We're doing really good. We're doing awesome. You can handle this. Okay, let's go, Lacey. You know? And so that is it's we think we're so complicated as people we think we're so complex but but like really those three values of mine optimism determination and snacks sincerely are the map of all my thoughts i mean really all my reactions all my it's it is in line with three little words i'm not as complex and i don't think you all are either no offense um i'm pretty simple <laughs> <laughs> That's a very interesting question. I think a fun, like, accompanying question is how do we know when we're using our voice? Yeah. Like, how do we know when we're working on something, an illustration, some writing, a game we're making, whatever? Like, when are we using our voice? How do you identify, like, oh, I'm putting something on right now versus this is truly me? Does that feel like me? Does mm-hmm. it have my signature? Does it have my touch? Yeah, how do we yeah. know? Because my, my first thought is, there's not words but there's like feelings and faces that I make if I hear something that I say that sounds like me I'll often smile you know I'll I'll have or laugh if I hear something that doesn't sound like me that I've said which happens often too there's this little bit of like lip curl and twinge and my head kind of goes back like oh no that wasn't it you know Um, I don't know how to describe it other than those kind of reactions this kind of leaning in when I hear it back to me or this this leaning out that happens if I feel like it's not in line with my voice. I think that's a really good description. Like how, how do you how does your body respond to it? How do you actually feel in tuning into that? And I think a lot of times we try and ignore our reactions to things, ignore our innate emotions. And I guess if we listen to that, then it can reveal some of those things like, oh, how does this feel to like me? Like an opening or a closing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The more fluent you become with your voice i think the less tolerance you have for for when it's not when it doesn't feel right i think you become more and more attuned to it um i've seen a little bit of that with me over the past few years it's like no it's not right it's not you know it doesn't have to be perfect but it it doesn't something about it doesn't feel right and i think that voice needs to be listened to it needs to be heard and and responded to and i think a lot of times we ignore that voice because of other urgencies and maybe we need to rethink that. Yeah. I think the thing that I notice the most for myself for when I'm, when I'm in my voice tends to be like how quickly I'm moving. Mm. So like, like if I'm working on something, if I'm writing something and it's going really slow and I'm having to like stop and rewrite every sentence five times and like, I'm really thinking about it then you know unless i'm doing something that isn't really my voice like this is a piece of work copy or something like that like that's different but generally speaking i'm able to look at that and say okay the reason this is taking me so long is because i'm trying to do something that in my head i have set as this thing that i need to do and you know it's not meeting some weird obscure star that i've put out there to to, you know it's needs to feel like this and, but when I, when it just is pouring out and it's like, okay, this is 100% natural and I don't even have to think about it. I'm thinking more about 
the thoughts and rushing to the next thought and like my fingers can barely keep up like that's when I know like okay I am really speaking with my own voice right now because my own voice comes naturally and everything else I have to stop and think about and because it's not my voice but you know when when we're in a group and we're talking it's not super laborious to figure out how to say the next sentence because you're just talking in your own voice and I think when we're being creative and we're using our own voice, it, it can feel the same way, whether you're writing or designing something or doing a piece of art. Like if it's just, just falling out of you, like speaking is, I feel like at that moment you're in your voice because it is so natural. Another view too. I agree with all of that. I think sometimes for me, it doesn't feel like my voice until I'm on the eighth iteration. Yeah. Uh, like it needs refinement. Like I'll spill, I'll feel like I'm in a good space and I'll, I'll design something or I'll sketch something out or I'll write something. And I'm like, this is headed in the right direction, but it is clumsy and awkward and I hate it. Well, my spills are very clumsy and awkward. Right. But well, that's what we do. <laughs> We're Mine clumsy are and awkward. actually uber graceful. My, my, <laughs> so my voice, my true voice right. is terrible. <laughs> it's just, then I have to fix it. Yeah, so I feel like the components that we've kind of uh, flitted about or flitted around are, um, you know, reflection. So we had a podcast recently about reflection. So reflecting on our work, um, iterating our work, intentionality going into it, and listening, right? So being able to really listen to ourselves um, without as much input, if that means we have to go fairy frolic through the forest, perfect. Um, whatever we have to do to kind of find that space of quiet, develop that intentionality, uh, reflect and iterate, reflect and iterate. I- iterate is right. You show up even if it's terrible, even if it's bad, just show up and do the work every day. It's vol- There's something to be said about volume, right? Like you're going to hit something eventually the more, the more shots you fire. So, How would you describe your... It's very frolic. It feels wrong. <laughs> How would you describe your your relationship to going out into the world? I guess it's a sense of mm, like just openness to whatever is there. Like I'm not trying to bring something to it. I'm not trying to, you know, force the situation to be any certain way. I just have this openness and emptiness and I guess when you when you bring that to things, then you have the ability to really be be touched by the things that you interact with. Like if you have constant input from all these things that aren't very important to you, then it all kind of gets washed out. But if you have this space of silence, and then you can really be moved and really be touched by the things that resonate with you the most. I aspire to be you so much. I know. <laughs> 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 She's the best of us. Yes. <laughs> well, if you want to hear more from Krista, the best of us, um, <laughs> then you'll have to come back again soon. I I think that we could probably talk about this for another five hours and not find our voice. Um, <laughs> or we would lose our voices. <laughs> good point. Very good point. Um, so is there anything else that you all want to hit on before I wrap us up? No, I feel like we've learned the lesson that in the future, these shows really just need to be us asking Krista questions. Yes, I agree. And then just sitting on the floor and listening. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> and then nap time and snacks. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, if you have enjoyed sitting on the floor listening to Krista, um, we would love to hear from you about what you enjoyed about this. Um, you can follow us here, subscribe. You can leave us a review. You can find us and talk to us in the Outpost community on Facebook. Also, our Discord channel is open, and there's a thread in there for the Outpost. We're going to be continuing to record these episodes regularly, and we usually put questions into those groups to get some feedback that we can include in the podcasts. So um, we adore you all. We're so grateful for you listening to us and hanging out with us for a little while. And I'm obviously grateful for all three of you sitting on the couch with me for a while. It's obvious. It's obvious. I'm grateful. All right. I love you. I love everyone else. <laughs> we all love each other. I love my Barry Scone. Um, and I think she loves the Barry Scone a little bit more than I, I was hoping. Be, honestly, be real. I was hoping that we would all just let that hang and, <laughs> and be deeply awkward. <laughs> like, I love but you. Barry Scone is always there. And okay, no response is coming. Okay, bye. This is gonna be one of those moments where I listen back and lean out. <laughs> I'm just gonna say it. Hope you all have a good rest of your day. We will talk to you soon. Goodbye. My berry scone, my berry scone, my berry scone. I love my berry scone early in the morning. It then goes to the next person on the couch.